Welcome to the Growing with Nature podcast. I'm your host, Darren Williams, permaculture enthusiast, restoration ecologist, and founder of Growing with Nature. Too often, we hear that the best thing we can do for nature is to leave it alone. But people are a part of nature, and you can make the living world around you come alive with abundance for people, plants, and wildlife, even in your own backyard. Join me on a journey through regenerative soil building, permaculture, restoration ecology, and more. To learn concrete steps you can take at home to support wildlife, grow incredible, delicious food, and help heal our living world right in your own backyard. Ready to get started? Grab a shovel, roll up your sleeves, and let's make the living world around you come alive. In this episode, we're going to look at the best way to deal with pests in your garden, but that is to attract their predators. From slugs to aphids to even small rodents, you can attract the predators of these common pests to help keep them in balance. So let's look at some simple steps you can take to attract predators and keep pests in balance. You know, far too often, The advice for dealing with pests in the garden focuses on the use of chemicals or traps. Even organic approaches use things like soap and water, beer traps, or neem oil. You know, regardless of what method you're using, the same basic mindset is at work. Pests are bad and should be eliminated from the garden. But this isn't working with nature. It's working against nature. And this approach is locking you into a never-ending cycle of fighting pests. Basically, you have to take on the role that predators take in a healthy environment. A better approach is to control garden pests by taking some simple steps to attract and support the predators that eat those pests. So how do you do this? Well, the first and most important step is to stop trying to eliminate garden pests. You know, those caterpillars, aphids, slugs, and other so-called pests are food for predators like birds, snakes, ladybugs, and others. Not only do the predators need the pests for food and you know, a lot of these methods used to kill the pests are also killing the predators, especially when you're using, you know, methods like pesticides or other toxic chemicals. But beyond not using methods that can kill both pests and predators, you also need to provide habitat for the predators so they can live in and around your garden. And, you know, real fast, if you want to learn more about common garden predators that you can attract that will help keep the pests in check, you know, make sure you check out the show notes. You know, there's a link in the description and the show notes, you know, will get you access to a free guide to nine common garden predators. So let's, you know, let's dive into how you can attract and support the predators that will help you control garden pests. And, you know, if you like what you hear today, you know, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Your review will help more people find us, people like you who want to bring these skills home to enjoy wildlife, grow more food, and help heal our living world. Okay, let's get started. So what pest causes the most issues in your garden? You know, here in western Washington, slugs are one of the biggest pests. You know, the average Seattle garden, for example, can have around 6,000 slugs in it. You know, I don't know, I don't care what you do, you're not going to eliminate all those. You know, I still remember having to go out every night and remove literally a couple dozen slugs from our broccoli and other vegetables. But I didn't kill those slugs. You know, I made sure to just toss the slugs out into our hedgerows and in our fields and not kill them. Because I wanted to make sure those slugs were still around to feed the predators that eat them. You know, predators like garter snakes, songbirds, um, ground beetles, and frogs. And I, you know, instead I started to focus on creating the habitat that would support these predators. You know, without shelter, predators won't stick around. You know, many predators also have different needs depending on their life cycle. 
you know, lacewings and hoverflies are pollinators as adults, but their larvae are voracious predators that eat tons of aphids and other soft-bodied insects. So I started, you know, adding log and rock piles in and around my gardens. You know, I added logs as borders to our paths. I planted native flowers in and around the garden beds, you know, and I added native trees and shrubs to our hedgerows and other growing areas. And recently, you know, we also built a simple wildlife pond along the north side of our kitchen garden to support frogs and garter snakes. You know, adding the logs, rocks, flowers, and the wildlife pond really has resulted in a huge amount of change to our property. You know, garter snakes are now very common, and so are those, you know, ground beetles. You know, centipedes are common too, and many other predators. You know, we're finding a lot more diversity of of wildlife now. And the result is that slugs are far less common. And I've stopped going out each night to remove slugs from our vegetables. And what I've really noticed is the size of the slugs in our garden has dramatically reduced. You know, we don't get those really big slugs that Western Washington is famous for. You know, we we see medium-sized slugs and a whole bunch of small ones. What this tells me is that the big ones are being eaten and the small ones aren't growing up to get big anymore. And that means they do a lot less damage to our plants. You know, we still do have some slug damage, but it doesn't have a major impact on our harvests. You know, some and some damage to, you know, to your vegetables is to be expected. Even commercial farms accept that some of their harvests will have damage from pests. You know, it's really is okay for lettuce or other harvests to have a little bit of damage to them. It's not going to hurt you. Those plants are still good to eat. You know, the goal really is to create a balance between predators and pests. You know, don't try to eliminate the pests. One, you're never going to be able to do that. And it's just going to be this constant never-ending battle that you're going to, you know, be locked into. So, But, you know, when you control garden pests with predators and not with toxic chemicals, you're helping to cultivate abundance for people, plants, and wildlife. And, you know, don't forget, you know, I've made up a free guide to nine common garden predators. So if you're unsure what type of predators you can attract, you know, that will really help you learn more about the common ones. There's a, you know, there's information about it in the show notes along with other free resources. And there's a link in the description to get to it. So, you know, let's dive into some tips for how you can really control garden pests with predators. You know, the first tip I have for you is to create what I call wild beds in your garden. You know, when we built our kitchen garden, I added habitat for wildlife right from the very start. Every garden bed has a relatively small, you know, roughly two feet by two feet area that I call our wild beds. In each of these wild beds, I've added rock piles, logs, even snags, and then also some native flowers. And all these native plants are actually edible too. You know, these... All this provides great habitat for predators of garden pests like slugs. Well, and they also add beauty to the beds. And, you know, they're helping to support soil life. And they're even providing an additional harvest. You know, I've seen garter snakes and other predators hanging out in these wild beds. And songbirds often perch on the snacks. You know, adding these wild beds to your garden works. And it's a great way to help control garden pests with predators. Because it gives the predators a place to exist, to be to hide when you're harvesting, when you're working in your garden. You know, these are little areas that you just don't disturb, that you let them be. And they become the little shelter that, you know, a lot of predators need to be able to come out at night and when you're not around to go take care of the pests. You know, my second tip is 
don't surround your garden with a food desert. You know, how many times have you seen a garden that is completely surrounded by grass lawns? I often see this. You know, people convert a, a relatively small part of their lawn into a garden. And, you know, this is actually great in many ways. You know, I would much rather people grow a garden than a big lawn. But if you stop with only the vegetable garden and keep it surrounded by lawn, and often, you know, there's still grass in between the beds even, you know, basically you've just surrounded your garden with a food desert. There's nothing in that lawn and the surrounding area for wildlife to eat. Just like you, they will be drawn to your garden. But unfortunately, this also means there's nowhere for predators to shelter, to find, you know, places to exist. You know, even if your garden has a few wild garden beds in it, you know, those are going to be too small on their own to fully support the predators of garden pests. But you can solve this issue by planting native trees and shrubs around your garden. You know, native wildflower meadows are another great option. And, you know, these can be planted along the north side of your garden, kind of in a nice little arc around it so that they're not going to shade your garden. You know, this can really be a great way and it can actually block colder northern winds and really help, you know, help keep your garden warm. So, you know, you can really do this in a way that really works out great. And, you know, if you're fully open, you can even plant these on the uh, west side of your your garden too. And that will give a little afternoon shade as long as, you know, I'm doing that for my garden because it, it really is helpful. And, you know, in these areas, you can also mix in more log and rock piles to even provide more habitat for, you know, for wildlife. And, you know, you might even think about adding a wildlife pond or a bird bath to, you know, add even more. And if you do this, you know, instead of just grass surrounding your garden, your garden will instead be surrounded by a rich diversity of habitat that will in turn support a rich diversity of wildlife. You know, pests will still be there, but so will the predators that eat them. You know, we have hedgerows, a wildlife pond, and native meadows around our garden. But, you know, on one side of it, we still have a small lawn. You know, it's on the east side. You know, that way the morning sun is can just hit it really easily and really, you know, give our plants that nice, you know, early light uh, through the afternoon. So, you know, you don't have to eliminate the lawn entirely, but you have to also make sure to create space for wildlife in addition to creating space to grow food for your family or community. You know, otherwise, if you don't plant for the wildlife, you're always going to be fighting pests. And if you really want to heal the living world around you, then, you know, this is what it takes. You've got to not plant just for people, but you have to plant for wildlife too. And doing this is one way you can heal the living world around you and cultivate abundance for people, plants, and wildlife. My third tip is to, you know, create a wildlife pond. You know, throughout this episode, I've mentioned our wildlife pond. And, you know, basically, this is just a small backyard pond. It's lined. It has a small waterfall. You know, I built it myself. You know, they really aren't that complex to build. You know, this was the first one I've ever built. But if, if you don't want to go that far, you know, you can just use a, build a small mini pond using a small container. You know, just small watertight container. You know, I've included some links in the show notes all about wildlife ponds and these mini ponds. You know, so check out the link in the description to learn more about them. But, you know, unlike a classic backyard pond, a wildlife pond is built for wildlife. This means it has rocks, logs, native plants, and other features to help support wildlife. You know, the edges of it where the water meets the shore, you know, the, ed- you know, the ground, those are all gentle, you know, not straight edges. Sometimes you see ponds built with, like, stone blocks around the edges and just makes basically a wall. And frogs and other animals have a hard time getting out. 
So, you know, in a wildlife pond, you're going to make sure those edges are all gentle so wildlife can get in and out easily. You know, you're also not going to use any chemicals to manage the water. You know, instead, like in my pond, we use native, you know, aquatic plants and, you know, there's a, there's a basic waterfall and all that works together to keep the water clean and clear. And the result is that wildlife, such as birds, but also many more like garter snakes, you know, they can use it. And, you know, not just, they, they use it not just for water to drink, but to also reproduce, take shelter and find food. You know, our wildlife pond, along with the native native meadow we've planted around it and the logs and rocks we've added to it, you know, it's really resulted in a place where wildlife just thrives. And since the wildlife pond is right next to our kitchen garden, you know, any wildlife that call it home can easily visit our garden to help keep pests under control. You know, wildlife need water, and building a small wildlife pond really is a fantastic way to control common, common garden pests with predators. You know, if you follow these three tips that we covered in this episode, you're going to be off to a great start. But there are two more things you've got to do if you want to control garden pests with predators. The first is to stop trying to eliminate the pests. You know, last year at the start of summer, my perennial cosmic kale were just covered with aphids. You know, literally, it's like we weren't going to be able to get any harvest from it. They were just, every inch was just covered. But... I just left those aphids alone and I just stopped harvesting from those plants. You know, it was in the summer, we had other options, so I just left them alone. You know, I did this because when I took time to look past the aphids and look around them and observe, I started to notice hoverflies showing up and laying eggs on the kale. You know, ladybugs were doing the same thing. And soon there were larvae from both uh, hoverflies and from ladybugs just chomping through the aphids. You know, they were eating them up. And of course, the ladybugs, the adults were also eating some of the aphids, but their larvae eat even more. And I also noticed just dozens and dozens, you know, maybe hundreds of these little parasitoid wasps flying around the kale plants. You know, these wasps are just tiny, tiny. They could fit on the head of a needle and they don't sting. You know, you don't have to worry about them. They're not going to sting you. But they... You know, these little parasitoid wasps, you know, as adults, they rely on flowers. You know, they're pollinators. But they lay their eggs on insects like aphids. You know, that's why they're called parasitoids. You know, these eggs then hatch, and the young basically eat the aphids or any other host insect from the inside out. You know, I know that's gruesome, but it, you know, these are, these little um, parasitoid wasps are highly effective at controlling pests like aphids. And, you know, if I had removed the aphids, even just using, like, soap and water, you know, that approach, none of these predators would have been there. And not only would this impact the current generation of predators, but all those larvae wouldn't have grown into the next generation of predators either. And this year, I wouldn't be seeing so many hoverflies. I wouldn't be seeing ladybugs. And I wouldn't be seeing the other predators. You know, the aphids still would have been there, because let's be honest, even if you use chemicals, you're never going to eliminate pests like aphids. They come back every year. But by choosing not to try to eliminate the pests and to be patient, I gave the predators time to do what they do. Eat the garden pests and keep them in balance for me. And you know, you can do the same. You know, those cosmic kale plants, it didn't take that long for the predators to deal with the aphids and the plants recovered and they're thriving. You know, we're getting huge harvests from them. And over time, what I've noticed, like this year, for example, you know, I see aphids places, but every time I find aphids, I just, all I have to do is look a little longer and I always find at least one ladybug right there. 
you know, and so like I see the aphids, they're still there, but this year I've noticed they're never getting, you know, large enough population wise to really cause that much problems. You know, there's enough predators around to keep them from ever, from getting too big. And that's, that's what I want. That's what we want. It's not to eliminate the pests. It's to bring them in balance. They're still going to be there, but you're going to, their predators are going to be there too. And that's something you can work with. So, you know, make sure you plant wildflowers, especially native ones, you know, create wild garden beds, like talked about little wild spaces for, you know, predators to hide out in, in your kitchen garden, you know, plant native trees and shrubs nearby your garden, you know, and think about adding a small wildlife pond. You know, if you do all this, you're going to be creating just tons of habitat for wildlife, including predators. And this is how you control garden pests with predators. You have to support and attract these predators. But, you know, don't forget to, to take a step back, slow down, and let the predators do their job. It does take time for the predators to build up their numbers. You know, the first year you start doing this, there's not going to be that many ladybugs. You know, they need to show up, reproduce, increase their numbers and but every year there'll be more until they kind of roughly work out a balance between the aphids and themselves you know that's what you're aiming for is a balance and it takes time you know they don't reproduce as fast as aphids so you have to give them that extra time so a lot of that is you know just taking a step back and waiting and being okay like i was with the aphids you know just recognizing that they're going to be there they're going to damage some of your plants this year but next year there's going to be less of them and more of the predators and if you do that you can get off that treadmill where you're having to act like the predator every year to you know fight these pests and i would much rather you know let the predators do that job for me and you know if you take use this approach you know you're going to over time you're going to save yourself time energy and money and you're just going to be cultivating abundance for people, plants, and wildlife. You know, this you're going to be creating a landscape that's filled with life, that's filled with diversity, and that's what we should be aiming for. So I hope you enjoyed this, and you know, make sure to stay tuned for our next episode. You know, next week, where we're going to explore strategies to deal with drought uh, without watering more. You know, here in the in Western Washington, on the West Coast of North America. You know, there's, we're in a drought. Um, a lot of the area here is in drought. So I really want to kind of talk to you all about some strategies to help deal with these droughts, you know, both now and to make your property more resilient to drought over time. So stay tuned next week. We'll dive into that. Yeah, you know, let's work together to heal our, our living world. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And thank you for listening to the Growing With Nature podcast. This podcast is made possible thanks to our patrons over on Patreon.com. Thank you, patrons, for supporting our work. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Your review will help more people find us, people like you who want to bring these skills home to support wildlife, grow food, and help heal our living world. Well, that's all for now. See you next week, same time, same place. Have a great week, and keep on growing.